All right, what's up, everybody? Stuart Anderson here, episode 81, the Dwelle Podcast. Super grateful for Jason Lang. He set up our podcast here with Burke Swindlehurst. If you don't know Burke, local pro and obviously creator of The Crusher and the Tusher. We spent a great uh, hour interview with him talking about his career as a pro cyclist and also when he retired, what he did to create Crusher and the Tusher and how the transition is going, uh, giving it to Lifetime. So super cool to hear from him, the founder and father of Crusher and the Tusher. He has some incredible advice and insight into everything about that race, as well as really fun to hear about uh, his life as a pro. So hopefully you enjoy this podcast. Uh, We recorded it you know, a week ago, we were high on camp. So grateful for all that came to camp, that came to St. George, uh, those that planned camp and participated, and especially our awesome raffle. Uh, so many fun prizes from uh, from Ventum, uh, giving away the frame, from our awesome friends at TBD who brought a tarmac frame who they, that they also gave away uh, through a, a fun raffle where we raised some money for Wheels of Justice. So Grateful for camp, uh, all the time that was spent and money to be together and, and enjoy some warmer weather down in St. George. So big thanks to everybody there. Big shout out to Matt Ryder and uh, his family. Absolutely uh, just love that guy and love his family as uh, he's celebrating uh, his father, a Creighton Ryder who passed away just uh, last week. A lot of great uh, memories uh, from Matt that are, that are being shared and what he learned from his father and especially uh, if you didn't know it, uh, everyone that wears a yellow jersey on Zwift made a $50 donation to ALS in Creighton Riders' honor. Uh, so when you see those jerseys, I hope you remember how special he was and exa- his example to the team uh, as just an incredible man. We interviewed him back in podcast number 11 that if you haven't listened to it, you should. Uh, really cool experience to to hear from Creighton who had ALS for almost 16 years. So uh, big love to Matt and his family as they celebrate his father's life. So, all right, enjoy this episode with Burke. Uh, love doing it, and uh, hope you all enjoy. All right, bye. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Me Dwell a Podcast. Stuart Anderson here, with Jason Lang. Hey, Jace. Hey, how's it going? Going very good. And Burke Swindlehurst. Hey, Burke. Hey, fellas. Great, grateful to have you with us. We are going to introduce Burke in just one sec. First, I wanted to thank everybody who joined us last week in Team Camp. Uh, so fun to be down in St. George with almost 90 people, uh, incredible uh, group rides, fun dinners, raffles. Uh, thanks to Jake Cook, Jim Hutton for hosting us at his house. He was so gracious. Dude, Jim Hutton had like 90 people in his house, <laughs> uh, feeding us Cafe Rio and just uh, perfect weather down in St. George. So thanks everybody for 2023 team camp. It was a lot of fun. Um We've opened up the summer kits, so they're back open until May 8th. So get your, I don't know, Jace, what are you going to order? Anything on the on the docket here for you? Man, I really, I I love racing in that two-in-one suit. Okay. I just, All right. That's the most comfortable way to go for me. I, I don't know what it is. It just fits me right. Skin suit. And uh, <laughs> Jason, Jason declared this morning on our group chat that he... Uh, has wasted thousands of dollars on the wrong sizes of all of our equipment. So just let him know if you have questions about <laughs> sizes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a learning curve. Yeah, big time. That's fun. Very cool. Well, if you don't know Burke, you should. Uh, he started racing bikes in the late 1980s, built a successful career as a rider um, who emerged from Utah, which is always fun. We're always so ex- I get jacked up whenever we like, Anybody that has a connection to Utah who's a professional rider, I'm like, yes, let's go, Utah guy. Um, but uh, you probably know him uh, from after his retirement. He started to uh, create the Crusher and the Tusher, which we absolutely love. Uh, last year, over 20 guys from the team participated in the Crusher race. Uh, so obviously, we'll talk about that today. But last year was Burke's last opportunity to be the race director of Crusher. Uh, presented by the creamery which i'd never eaten at before jace did you uh, you were like yeah i that was the first time i ever went was uh lived i know (laughs) we we stood in line for 45 minutes to get like i don't even know what mac and cheese or something but it was very good uh i watched a video today where burke said that mile for mile there is no tougher race on the planet than the crusher and i love that i want to talk about that today uh maybe a little more about why he feels that 
Um, but it's a huge part of our culture. We wanted to first express our gratitude for Crusher, what it, what it, what it is, what you created, how our team rallies behind it. It is just one of the coolest things to talk about, to participate in. And I wish I could share my screen with some of the pictures from last year's carnage at the top. Uh, we had a teammate that laid on the concrete for what, an hour, just like laying there. And then he moved into the tent and got some oxygen. <laughs> so funny, dude. <laughs> but uh, super grateful to have you on, Burke. Um, welcome. And Burke has a connection to the team. He, he knows us from way back when, but we're grateful to have you on. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Very cool. I looked up, Jace would probably know more about some of your old professional race stats. Jace, did you want to dive into any of those before we get into the I mean, I know you know what he's, you probably have it open on your screen right now as to uh, <laughs> old stats. I, I mean, I, I love looking at your old stuff, Brooke, just because it takes us back to a time when there was tons of races in, in the U.S. and there was domestic teams and you could make a living as a professional cyclist here in the, in the U.S. and not have to go over to Europe. And um, I think that was the coolest part of when you started racing bikes in, in the heyday. Yeah, I actually, I was, I was thinking about that today and I, I think about it often, um, just how fortunate I was to bike race during the 1990s in general, yeah. uh, especially here in the U S like there were, there were so many amazing races. Um, you could probably, I mean, I could rattle off, I don't know, probably at least a dozen, maybe two dozen, just like incredible stage races that we used to have all across the country. And uh, I mean, you could easily have, you know, a, a 90 day race year in the United States alone of like high quality races with, uh, you know, deep fields and lots of spectators and just in, in really cool places. And, uh, um, you know, at the time, I, I mean, that's just, that's just what it was, right? You didn't really realize how cool it was, but in, in retrospect, looking back and also just kind of seeing what the the landscape of road cycling looks looks like now here in the U.S. Um, it was it was a really, uh, I guess, a magic time really to to be able to, to do something like that. Yeah, um, Burke. From when when you look back on how you got into it, um, maybe share with everybody real quick your history, how you chose bikes, how you chose endurance sports. Um. Yeah. So I'd, I'd always just kind of loved bikes and I, and I, and I think maybe that's just at least the, you know, the generation that I grew up in, I think everybody loved bikes, right? Because that was your first taste of freedom, you know, whatever age you were, like you get your first bike and suddenly like you're a free person, you can go and, you know, cruise around the neighborhood, it'll take you places. So bike for me, bikes were always um, foremost in, in my life as just I just can't picture my life without a bike. In fact, I remember my grandma telling me that um, she used to have this old parking strip with like a, uh, it's kind of like concrete with a, a, a grass strip in, in between. And she said, I used to get on my tricycle and ride, ride around that grass strip for hours. <laughs> just like the, I, maybe that's why I hated criteriums as I got older, but um, <laughs> got it out of my system at a young age. But uh but yeah, so I mean, bikes were always there for me. Um, and then uh, as, far, as far as the, the endurance side of things go, it, it actually dates back to when I was in scouts of, of all things. Um, we had a, uh, the hiking merit badge. And mm -hmm. the hiking merit badge, um, you had to cover 50, 50 miles um, in one go. And there was actually like a, a thing. I, I don't know how long it happened for, but they called it the 50-20 uh where the scouts would you know you'd all drive up to like this is the place monument at like 4 p.m on a friday afternoon and then you'd basically just walk to provo oh my gosh uh, yeah just, we're just way too soft for that now tons of scouts and so that that was my first taste <laughs> of like an endurance thing and so i remember driving up there and uh they dropped us off and it was, it was crazy too, because there was like zero supervision. Like we were, we were just freelancing on our own. And I remember just like, I, I ran, I would kind of alternate between running and walking, but um, it was just one of the coolest experiences I'd ever had up to that point. Cause I'm just like running at like 2am through, you know, American fork by myself. 
<laughs> and you know get to like the the city park in Provo at like 9 a.m and uh got my got my hiking merit badge and yes <laughs> realized that 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 I just I absolutely loved just doing something that that consuming and that strenuous for that long so that was kind of my first taste of endurance sports um and then uh, I actually did a I did the St. George Marathon a couple times um I think when I was like 11 and 12 uh and then I had an uncle who I basically idolized, like he was a, uh, a pilot in the Air Force and he, he bike raced and he lived in, in Alaska. And we had the, uh, the U.S. National Championships were hosted in Park City. I want to say that was in 1986. And he came out and stayed with us uh, for that. We, we lived in Provo and, uh, I went and watched him bike race. And as, as soon as I saw it, like I watched him do a crit in downtown park city. And I, I just like walked away and I told my mom, like, I want a road bike. Hmm. That's what oh, I cool. want to do. That's all I could think about from then on. Nice. Very cool. Yep. That's pretty amazing. So we, we touched on maybe just a little bit earlier, but you kind of raced in the in the heyday too so you got your start in the late 80s you raced through the 90s early 2000s when cycling was peaking there was tons of races you were able to make a living as a cyclist um i mean you won tour of the gila multiple times you you know finished the tour of utah that was your last race right crossing the finish line at in tour of utah at snowbird we got all these yep. great races what what in the world happened? We don't have tour of California. We don't have Utah. We tour of the Gila canceled their one, two race this year. Like what, why is America falling out of love? Um, I think that's a really complicated question. And, and again, it's, it's another thing I think about a, a lot. I mean, I, I think there, there are multiple reasons for, um, road racing kind of dying off in the U S um, not, not the least of which I, I personally believe kind of like the, there was that time period when the, suddenly there was like, you know, there was a tour of California, there was the tour of Missouri, there's the tour to Georgia, um, the tour of Utah. Uh, suddenly, um, if you weren't a UCI race, uh, a lot of teams were kind of, would kind of look down their nose at like a race like Cascade or, um, you know the Killington stage race. I mean, there were just numerous stage races all over the U S really great stage races. And, uh, suddenly this, um, there was this thing where like, if, if you didn't get into one of those major UCI races, uh, you weren't necessarily a legit team. And so suddenly teams started just pouring resources into trying to, to get into those races and stopped going to these other races that had been around for so long. And I, I think participation started to go down. And I, I think a lot of that was largely due in part to, um, to that shift in focus towards having a UCI event to, I don't know if it was to, um, you know, maybe look more legitimate. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of factors behind that, but I do think that was one factor in that um, a lot of these races that had been around for so long, uh, the Tour of Willamette would be another example, um, the Vuelta de Bisbee. Um, you know, a lot of really great stage races just kind of fell by the wayside because of that, in my opinion. Um, I also think it's just, it's really hard to put on a bike race. And especially now where, uh, you know, there aren't as many um, rural roads that, you know, I mean, shutting down roads for a bike race is, that's a major thing. And uh, nowadays that costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of planning. Um, I just, I just think there are numerous hurdles in the way for, uh, you know, stage racing in particular in the U S and, and good, good road races. So, um, I, I could probably go on all day about that. <laughs> <laughs> it is just, it is crazy to watch. And I think it plays into, you know, when we're going to talk about how our team specifically has moved a lot towards gravel racing and kind of the attitude of our guys. Um, but maybe looking back, Burke, when you think about your career and the things that you've participated in, is there any favorite memories you have from, what you participated in and maybe why those are your favorites. Is there anything that stands out? Yeah. I mean, looking back, like my, my favorite times were be, before I turned professional, actually kind of like uh, the process of, uh, of trying to, to break, you know, break into the sport and, and, you know, get a, get a professional contract. So 
you know, like 1990, 92 through 97, the, those were great years. You know, I was racing for the, the Brackman brothers and Einstein's teams back then. And uh, we were just kind of this ragtag group of um, guys that, you know, really wanted to break through. And we just, we had a great time, you know, camping and sleeping on floors and just doing all those, those fun things that, um, that, you know, looking back on now, it's just like, like some of the stuff, you know, some of the drives we pulled off, um, <laughs> between races and, uh, the places we slept. I mean, I've, I've slept on a, on a picnic table at 10,000 feet in New Mexico <laughs> before on the way to get to tour of the Gila, you know, I mean, those, those are the things that you remember for a long time for me personally, anyway, more, nice. more so than even some of the, the larger marquee, um, professional races that I did. I love that. Very cool. <laughs> Jace, you can't complain about a bad night's sleep before loaded Janelle. <laughs> I, I never sleep well the night before a race. You, you well, guys I, sleep well before the race? I mean, if you sleep on a park bench, yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't even have an excuse. I'm not a professional. I'm usually in a hotel room in a nice bed. Uh -huh. I still I still get nervous for some reason. I, I, hopefully everybody's the same. I'm the That's same. That's a good sign. <laughs> this means I'm excited. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess let's transition into gravel then, since that's what kind of the our loves have, have turned towards, especially yours, Burke. And um, can you talk about maybe what spurred the move from road to gravel? And maybe, I mean, I guess you retired and shortly after you kind of created Tusher. Yeah, I mean, that that was uh that was a matter of know less than six months um that that, that all kind of happened but it had been percolating in my mind the idea for that for for what is the crusher now had been percolating in my mind for at least 10 to 15 years um just based on rides that i'd done in the area um my family's from beaver and so i'd spend a lot of time there and riding my bike and there's not a whole lot of roads there and the roads that there are i i i'd done more than enough time on those roads and so it was time to kind of um, start investigating all the, the gravel roads that were around there. So that's kind of what led to that. Um, but, uh, you know, for me personally, I don't, I just think that the time was just kind of right in general, um, uh, living in Salt Lake, I'd kind of, uh, I mean, you, you guys know what it's like, like you go out for a road ride and basically if you're, especially if you're riding with, with other people, you spend most of the ride being hyper vigilant, like looking over your shoulder and being aware of traffic and, and all the dangers out there all the time. And for me, like getting out on a, on a gravel road is just kind of like the ultimate freedom where you can mm -hmm. let your mind water wander a bit. And, uh, and if you have somebody with you, you guys can have a conversation without like constantly looking over your left shoulder and singling up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, it, it's just, uh, I don't know, I guess it's just kind of a continuation of being that you know, that little kid who got on a bike, you know, at the first time when you just get on the bike and you start to feel freedom again. Nice. I love, actually love that you mentioned that as you were talking, I was thinking about how you really have to concentrate so much more on the road. You're pointing out obstacles and potholes and gravel and sand and, and whatever else traffic. And it, it's crazy when you're out on those roads, you kind of just talk to the people that you're riding with. You don't, I mean, there's always little things, but Mm -hmm. yeah there's not there's not all the it's not the same concentration level i guess way more like a, like a herd of cows on the back side of the colder crush <laughs> yeah. just standing in the middle of the road yeah yeah <laughs> so fun. i mean i guess you're you're on your road bike right you you said mm -hmm. you you started looking for other routes you're still a professional but like looking for different roads to train on so yep. you take your tiny 23 millimeter road tires and you're riding on these gravel roads or what uh well actually i i sized up i, I went for the big dogs 25 c's 25 <laughs> 25 c continental super sport nice. that was my go-to tire that was that was the closest thing to like a gravel tire back then. no way oh yeah yeah and uh and of course, uh, you know, back then, I mean, I was still probably running 100 PSI because I didn't want to pinch flat, right? Which means yeah. that I was just skating. Anytime I'd hit a, a downhill, it was just like grim death holding onto the bars. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's was, wild. So, uh, 
So I, I guess I can't even understand how you found yourself in the back roads of of Beaver on that type of a bike to create something like Crusher. Can you tell tell us how that happened? Yeah, I mean, well, at the time, I mean, that was basically all I had. You know, occasionally I'd I'd hop on a mountain bike and I you know I'd do a lot of the same rides, but um, I I I. I didn't really necessarily like doing out and back rides. I always like to do a loop if possible. And so, uh, and, you know, being able to connect like pavement and gravel together, that was by far my favorite thing was to be able to do a ride uh, where you could kind of um, string together the two things and connect the dots. And so, um, you know, since I was road racing full time, that was my job. I mean, it, it also made sense that I would be spending time on that bike, um, especially, you know, back in the day, like, you didn't really, it, it was frowned upon to even like for, for road racers to even mountain bike, like it was too dangerous. The position was different. You know, there are all these like preconceived notions about bikes and like how, you know, specificity was everything. And um, so e even to kind of, uh, you know, dabble in mountain bike racing, which I did as well, um, I would get looked at ensconce by, by a lot of the team directors and, and fellow hmm. riders for that reason. But um I just, I mean, I just, I just like being on a bike regardless of the surface and more so for me, gravel roads always took me to places that I found were cool and, and also out of the way where I could, again, not, not constantly be doing that vigilant look over the shoulder or worrying about getting buzzed by a car or whatever it happened to be. So that's just mm -hmm. kind of how I gravitated towards them. Nice. You know, uh, Burke in my normal job, job that makes money. <laughs> uh, we spend time training dental, like dentists, mm -hmm. how to, how to have a great culture in their practice. So how to train a team, um, when a patient walks in, we provide tools for a dentist to use to, how can my patient have a great experience? Mm -hmm. The reason I bring that up is that I'm fascinated with the culture of crusher. Mm. I, I feel like there is something special there, whether it's you tried to create it or whether it just happened on its own. Um, but can you talk about that? Uh, um, why you think Crusher is different? Why the culture there feels different? Why people are like, I'm not just going to race. They they actually enjoy the, the entire experience of being there. Is that something that you created intentionally or is that something that has happened just over time? I, I, would, say, I would say it's a little bit of both. I mean, one of the things about my my vision for crusher was I, I wanted to bring together the the different cycling communities so you know as I mentioned I'd been I, I mountain bike raced off off and on um, throughout my career and I got to really enjoy being around those people um, they just had a different attitude uh, a, a lot more I wouldn't say less serious but they were just a little more lighthearted and uh, and they didn't keep their cards as close to their chest as mm. as road racers and there was there was just kind of like a a more welcoming attitude among the mountain bike racers and, and just kind of a, uh, a friendship that, uh, I don't know, there wasn't like this fear of the outsider. Like when you're on a road racing team, like it's you against the world, right? It's like you and your teammates, and then it's you against every other team. And you, you rarely would let your guard down enough to like, um, really become friendly with other people on other teams, unless you'd actually kind of been on a team with them prior but there was just kind of this inherent, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, us versus them kind of thing that, that wasn't present in mountain biking. So for Crusher, like that was part of my vision is like, I wanted to bring together these other communities like mountain bikers, cyclocross riders, um, riders that maybe hadn't even raced a bike before, road racers and get everybody in the same place uh, doing the same thing and just see what happens, you know, and see if, if those, um, those barriers could be broken down a little bit and people could let their guard down a little bit and, and do something that nobody was comfortable with. Right. Like, hmm. especially early on with Crusher, like there weren't dedicated gravel bikes. So people were making Franken bikes. Um, <laughs> you know, you had people that were like comfortable on part of the course and then scared out of their minds on the other half of the course and vice versa. So, <laughs> you know, the comfort, everybody's comfort zone was being pushed, which I thought was really cool and also helped to kind of create that community of like people, um, you know, sharing with each other instead of guarding information, people were sharing information to see if they could 
uh, learn something that they didn't know, which was another thing that was very much not part of road racing is you didn't share information. Like you always wanted to keep your edge. Yeah. So even among teammates and best friends, like if you had something that like a training Hmm. technique or maybe a supplement or whatever, um, you would never, you would never lift the lid on it because you didn't want to give up your edge. I love that. (laughs) Very cool. Nice. Um, I, on, on that note with, with Crusher, um, I'm just wondering, I read or listened to you in another podcast or read something online about a different route originally. Mm-hmm. And well, Crusher's hard enough. We, we had Alex Wild on a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, and he said it was by far the hardest race in the Lifetime Series for him. A lot of other people feel the same way. These, the pros, pros are just getting killed out there. W- was it harder, even harder before? Yeah. So, so that I call it the original course. Um, and again, this, this is me coming like fresh off my pro career. And, mm. uh, the, the course that I'd originally had planned was going to be 85 miles long, um, with 12 and a half thousand feet of climbing. Um, yeah. And, uh, as, as luck, I shouldn't say luck or fate, whatever you want to call it. Um, maybe a little bit of both. Um, we had a snow year, not unlike the one we've had this year and, I had to, I had to do a complete reroute scramble reroute, like two weeks before the race. When I realized there was still five feet of snow on the course that I wanted to go on because oh my it, gosh. It, it went up over 11,000 feet. The course that I had originally planned on was like 11,500 feet in one place. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and there were, there'd actually been a huge avalanche, um, that had kind of like wiped out part of the road. So uh, this was kind of my my plan B, and as luck would have it, I mean, I think it turned out to be be a better course. Honestly, um, I think the other course would have been just a, over the top. Which, you know, I, I think there's a trend in in gravel in particular. Um, everybody's just trying to one up the next person and like put on the longest, hardest, whatever. And I I I think that's kind of a race to the bottom, honestly, because you can only have so many of those races, you know, where you can only do like two or three races like that in a year. And then you're, you're totally fried mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and so honestly, I I'd like to see more, more gravel events that are in the, you know, 60 to 90 mile range um, where you can finish and then actually enjoy yourself and, and hang out with people afterwards instead of go straight to bed. (laughs) <laughs> so, what, still- so what's the key to that i mean you crusher is an extremely difficult course but mm-hmm. there's a way to enjoy yourself what's the key what's the key to having a great day at crusher oh geez i mean i, I guess it, i guess it depends on what you want want to get out of the experience right i mean like you said there's there's so many so many different people showing up to a race like crusher for different reasons. You know, some people want to test themselves. Some people want to win the race. Other people want to finish. Um, you know, for some people, it's all about the community that we've talked about. So I, I think that's kind of the, the really cool thing about gravel in general too, is that each person can go to an event with and have different expectations. It's not all about the outcome. It's not about the, the start line, the finish line necessarily, a lot of it's about what happens in between and before and after where, you know, road racing is like, you show up and like the first person across the line, I mean, that's what you're there for, right? You want to win, mm-hmm. be the first person to cross the line, uh, you know, hurry up and get awards over with, and then hop in your car and drive home, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think gravel has kind of turned that on its head and turned it more into an experience, experience and uh, more of a community thing. So hmm. um I don't, I don't know if that necessarily answers your no, question. That, that's yeah. the spirit of gravel. You just yeah. described the spirit of gravel. <laughs> um, do you, I don't know if you guys had, ex- I mean, Burke, you raced last year on the course. I, I know I saw you there. Yeah. Um, uh, there were two experiences last year that came to mind as Burke was describing what he was just describing. One, there was a man huddled under like a bush on the cold he was like trying to hide in the shade <laughs> on the coal and i'm like like i'm like dude there's no sh- just get back on like what do you do? Yeah, yeah. and then the second thing that i remember is uh i think it was the dna tent 
there's TJ Eisenhart. He's like sitting in a chair. And I actually didn't experience this. My wife did, but he was sitting there just like drinking a Coke, you know, TJ. And he yells at her, come on in, sit down, have a Coke, bro. Like he was just like, I'm like, dude, he's one of the pros. He's like, dealing vibes. Dude, he's just. <laughs> um, anyway, there's so many stuff, things like that, that I think is so fun. And uh, I guess to lead into my question, Burke, I'm, I'm nervous. Do you, are you nervous transferring the race over to lifetime? Are you nervous that stuff like that will be lost? Did, did you consider stuff like that? Was that ever a fear or um, are you happy they have it? Are you grateful that lifetime's got the race? Um, so, so to answer your question, yes, that, that was an ab- absolutely a fear. Uh, and it was something I thought a lot about. Um, you know, when, when I contemplated uh, transitioning out of this and, and, and it has been a long time coming three or four years, um, of just kind of getting to where I'm like, I just don't know how much more of this I have in me because I, I put so much into it. Um, and it was, so, it was so exhausting on every level for me hmm. that I knew that I, I needed to, I needed to figure something out. Uh, and it, it, so there, I basically had two options. It was like, I discussed this with some of my close friends. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it to year 10. And then I'm going to Year 10 is going to be it. We're going to say, hey, hope everybody had fun. Hmm. This is great. Love you guys. Love everything that happened here. But, you know, we're out. Mm-hmm. That, that was one option. The other option was to try and find a home for Crusher, a good home where I know that it could, it, it could be in good hands and live on beyond the energy that I had to put into it because it was, it was starting to, to drain from me, um, you know, just it's, it's hard to explain because everybody asks me, he's like, well, well, what was so hard about it? And it's like, oh, it's, it's not just one thing. It's like death by a thousand cuts, right? When you really put your, your heart and soul entirely into something, you eat, sleep, drink, and breathe and live it every day. Um, it, for me, there's just like a finite amount of that. And, and I experienced that in my racing career too. You know, my, I, I retired when I was 37, but I think my body probably had another six, seven years left in it, but my spirit, my mind were done. Mm. And that's kind of where I, where I got to with, with Crusher too. So, um, I kind of resigned myself to have, you know, having it come and be that 10 year thing where it was going to be like, it's been good. It's been fun. It's been real fun, but you know, this is it. Uh, and then I, I got introduced to, um, chemo Seymour at lifetime through a mutual friend. And we started talking and, um, it, it was interesting because I think, I think I, they interviewed me, but I interviewed them just as hard, you know, like it, it was, it was a tough decision to be able to, to come to that and, and feel like I was, I was doing the right thing. But in the end, I, I do think it's the right thing um, because the race is going to live on beyond me. And I think, I think they're going to do a great job with it. And I, I helped handpick the person um, who is replacing me. Uh, made sure she's local. She's actually right here in Cedar City, so she can come right. knock on my door anytime she wants to if she has any problems or questions or anything like that. Uh, so I I feel good. I feel good about it. Cool. Well, I loved I loved what you said about Ginger. She's taking over the race, Ginger Hall, that she can organize twenty five hundred mountain bike high school mountain bikers at an event. Like Crusher is going to be no problem yeah. for her. <laughs> I love that comment. Well, very cool. I. Uh, I was never nervous, but um, obviously you are the heart of the race. So it was uh, interesting to hear your your comments on what will move forward. So that's good. Yeah, yeah you I know, can't imagine what's that what that's like because it. I mean, everybody associates you with that race, and you grew up for a decade, mm-hmm. and it was your baby. And like we've talked about before, the culture was so good. People just kept. I mean, such a hard race in Beaver, Utah but people are just coming out, you know, in droves to just suffer there. You, you created such a, a great thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Cool. Well, thank, thank you. And I, honestly, I can't take all credit for, like you said, I'm the heart and soul. And I think, I think to a certain extent that could be true, but I also think the riders are the heart and soul of the event. And at a certain point I started to see the, the riders and the people showing up, taking interest and are, I shouldn't say interest, but ownership of the event and, um, and realizing like this thing is way bigger than me, which was awesome. And it was a relief, honestly, because like I said, I only had so much energy to put into it and to see it kind of take on a life of its own. 
whether that's the writers showing up or the volunteers, the, the community, all of that, um, that, that's been really cool. I mean, I might be the heart, but uh, it, takes, it takes a lot of other organs to keep the organism moving. So I think it's in good hands. Nice. It's, it's the race I'm most excited for this year. I, I mean, people keep asking, what, what races are you doing? What are you most excited for this year? And I keep saying, really, the only, the only thing I'm really excited for this year is Crusher right now. I just, that's, I, I think we're a weird breed of people that just love suffering for some reason, but that's <laughs> yeah. our brand. That's our brand of suffering right there. Yeah. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> um, do you think that gravel is going to just continue its meteoric rise and, and kind of dominate American racing for the, I mean, this decade? That, I mean, that's a good question. And, and uh, I honestly don't have an answer to that. I mean, um, I see I see a lot of parallels with uh, mountain biking in the in the 1990s and and its ascension into in you know into the to the sphere of of competitive cycling. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains. I think I think we're starting to experience those uh, within gravel. I I also think it's it's perhaps reaching a saturation point where um, there's just so many events on the calendar. It's crazy. Like. I mean, there used to be like five gravel events in the U.S. for for many years, and now there's like five per state, you know, uh, which is awesome. Um, it's it's really cool. Uh, but I honestly, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm just I'm as interested as all the rest of you because I I mean, <laughs> as much as I I think I might have had a hand in cultivating where it headed early on. Uh, I th again, I think that's it's now in the hands of of the participants to see what you know where this thing goes and kind of what flavor it's going to have in the future. So uh, I'm I'm going to be eating popcorn there with all the rest of you guys <laughs> watching what, watching what unfolds. You know, yeah, it's so fun because all the brands are definitely behind it. The money seems to be better in gravel than it is in road, at least. And there's a lot of pros doing it now. There's a you know a national gravels event and there's a gravel worlds and uci is involved now it just seems like it's it's a steamroller right now nothing's nothing's yeah. going to touch it yeah no it's it's definitely it's definitely going you know and um i i think it, i think it checks a lot of boxes uh especially for for people that are new to the sport i think it's a <clears> lot more approachable than than road cycling or mountain biking um so i, I do i do think it's just going to continue to grow it's just going to be interesting to see how the competitive side of it grows along with the participation side that's that's what is going to be really interesting to see because i do see some limitations um with gravel racing in terms of um you know I, you you've got riders that are just pushing the absolute limits and uh that's one thing on pavement when you're you know you're kind of glued to pavement but gravel is not so much the same way you know and there there are so many variables out there on the roads that my, my my biggest concern first and foremost always has been safety like making sure i had a safe event for for everybody was was and is does continue to be my my utmost concern with the event on top of you know making sure everybody has a good time i want to make sure everybody has a safe environment to have a good time in and so i see that as being um really critical to the to the development of gravel uh, across the board and making sure that people take into consideration the safety of the riders uh, mm. and, and putting that first and foremost above everything else. Very cool. Um, Bert, maybe you could talk about uh, what you're doing with first endurance, what you're like, what you're doing now. I watch you on Strava down in Cedar city, you get out rain or shine. Like I'm like, dude, it's freezing in Salt Lake and Burke is out climbing the hills of Cedar City. <laughs> there was a couple of pictures you posted this winter where I'm like, how is he out right now? Um, but maybe can you talk about that? What what you're doing now? Um, what what you see in the future for yourself? Yeah, um, join, joining First Endurance. So, I mean, I've I've been I've kind of been with First Endurance since since the beginning and, and perhaps even before that because uh, you, you mentioned Ryan and. Um, his his father Mike is the the guy who you know founded First Endurance, and we actually um, met each other thirty plus years ago when we were going to uh, college at Utah State University, hmm. and uh, we're we're riding quite a bit together. And so I've known Mike forever, um, and I've been involved with the brand for you know twenty plus years at this point, and have 
you know, in varying capacities, whether it was a sponsored athlete or just, you know, Mike and I being buddies, he'd call me up and bounce ideas. And, and, and later as things have evolved and uh, with Crusher and, and so forth, um, just kind of, uh, you know, trading ideas and, and thoughts on, on business, you know, growing businesses and some of the challenges in there. So, um, so it's been, it's been pretty seamless. And that my, my position now with First Endurance is the sponsorship director. And so basically I am, uh, you know, recruiting and, and uh, you know, getting athletes and events involved with the brand, cool. um, which is super, super fun for me because it's, it's, it's a pretty natural thing just because I, you know, I do have a history with a lot of these athletes. And so it's, it comes, it comes a little easier for me, I think, from that perspective and the fact that I do have all those connections, but um, also having Ryan involved with the brand is, has been awesome because I mean, that, that kid's a whiz, man. Uh, he's, he's amazing. He's got a, he's just got an amazing mind um, to, you know, head on his shoulders and, and uh, the business side of things just seems to come naturally to him. And I'm sure a lot of that comes from Mike as well. So, um, but as far as what the future holds, I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of fun because I, I really don't know what's in front of me. You know, I want to just like, uh, sink my teeth into this position as much as I can and see where it goes. You know, I also really enjoy providing feedback and helping develop uh, new products. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm still very much, you know, uh, nutrition and, and supplementation has always been something I've been very interested in. And especially now as I'm, I'm getting older, uh, I just turned 50, which is crazy to me to, to, to even say that, but uh, you know, I still have ve very much an interest in um, not so much now that kind of like the performance end of things for myself, personally speaking, like, um, now I'm more interested in like, uh, longevity and wellness, you know, and like, like, mm -hmm. I want to keep riding my, I want to see myself riding my bike 25 years from now. You know, I still want to get on, on those mornings when people look out the window and say, hell no, you know, <laughs> I want to, I want to suit up and get out there. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I want to keep living the life and feeling, uh, feeling good physically so that I can keep doing that with any luck. Nice. That's um, fantastic. Burke, with all of the, with all your experience and maybe to dovetail how you answered that question, um, what, what advice would you give, uh, like looking back maybe to a young Burke or even just our, our team, is, is there something you've learned over the years in this sport that you would share with, um, whether, I don't know if it's training or mm -hmm. nutrition or anything, is there something you would say to, to writers in general? Um, I would say just make sure to keep it fun. You know, I think, I think uh, some, some of my, my most challenging moments in, over the years, especially in my cycling career was when I started to take things too seriously and push myself a little too hard. Um, and I always, you know, you always just go back to basics, right? Like when I'd hit those low ebbs and think like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like I would just, you know, stop training according to like, I'd get, get rid of the, the power meter and all that stuff and just go out and ride because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and as soon as I got back into that mindset of doing it because I loved it, it's, it's what I wanted to be doing and stop being so focused on, on the outcome and, and more uh, embracing the process and, in, and enjoying just riding my bike. That's when things would start to come back around for me. So um, yeah, that, that would be my biggest piece, piece of advice. I mean, I think I think taking it seriously is, is great. And obviously I had to do that as a professional writer, but um, also just making sure that it was something that I enjoyed and still wanted to do was like the most mm -hmm. important thing, you know, cause over the years I've, I'd, I saw so many writers that were so, had so much more talent um, than I, I did that, that took it incredibly seriously and they, they got burned out and they just turned their back and walked away and probably never touched a bike again, you know? for me that's unthinkable I mean for me like the bike is as much um for my not just my physical health but my mental health and, and that's that kind of goes back to your point like um getting out every day I do that as much for my for my mental health because if I don't it it, it deteriorates pretty quickly mm. uh and I guess that would be another thing is uh in terms of like the winter we we've had a brutal winter and um <laughs> 
you know, every day I, I wake up and pull the blinds and look out the window and I see a million reasons not to get out there. <laughs> I just remind myself that it's never as bad on the other side of the glass. That's true. Actually doing it than when you're, <laughs> you know, with a cup of coffee and feeling nice and warm and staring out at the, the yeah. wall of snow or whatever it happens to be like. Once you get out there and you start doing it, I'm always thankful and glad that I did it. Oh, great advice. I love that. I didn't get out this morning. There was too many when I looked out. There was too many. The, <laughs> 40, the 40 minutes to get all my gear on, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Brick, you haven't transitioned at all to, to Zwift and the trainer, I guess. Yeah, You're just getting out there. I haven't, man. I, I I actually never really embraced the trainer. I mean, there were times when I when I had to, had to do it when I was racing, um, but Generally speaking, again, it just goes back to why I ride the bike in the first place. Like I like being outdoors. I mean, I, I can't imagine not being outdoors uh, on a daily basis. And so um, the, the trainer isn't really, really a, a thing for me. <laughs> Chase, any other follow-ups on advice? Because I, I see one last question here that you've got for him. The, the very last one? Yeah. I'm just really curious to kind of pick your brain a little bit on something just because I, like we talked about earlier, it's some parts of cycling in the U S are in a sad state with road racing and just participation and excitement around the sport and Mm -hmm. gravel seems to really have taken off and ignited, you know, a, a lot of conversation around getting people on bikes and everything. And the lifetime grand prix series is, been fantastic for that getting the you know the best athletes from around the world involved and I I wonder do you think that a series like Lifetime could add road races as well like have two road races two gravel races two mountain bike races and crown the best overall cyclist you know (laughs) something like that like there's a crown people are going for to get uh, you know to just kind of get people excited for all forms of bikes that's an interesting idea. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it the next time I get, <laughs> the next time I'm on the line with this, uh, and I'll, and I'll give you credit for it too. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I see all these guys like Keegan and Finsty and the, these guys going out and doing the shootout rides in Tucson. And I, I know they ride their road bikes and they have a good time and it's competitive there as well. It just, it seems like it would be great to add more because I know Legion is doing some great things with crit racing in the US and mm-hmm. they're paying some pro cyclists, you know, full salaries so they can make a living. And and maybe this is just another way to get, you know, kids from the Nike program excited about, you know, road bikes as well. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm just I'm unsure how to create more excitement excitement around bikes in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean I you know, at, at my heart, like I, I still love riding the road bike. I just don't do it that often because, you know, I, I mean, I honestly don't know even if, if, if I lived in a place where, you know, you could go out and ride a road bike comfortably and, and safely, I don't know if I ever would have ventured off the, off the pavement. Cause I mean, r- riding a road bike has, I mean, there's nothing like putting on the skinny tires and going fast. Right. I mean, that's, that's a feeling that's hard to replicate and it's and I also think actually of all the you know the different forms gravel mountain bike and road bike I've always been able to like put myself hurt myself physically more on the road bike than any other bike for some reason you know I mean there's just there's just there's there's very little to get in the way of how much you can pour into the pedals on a road bike so I I do I do think there is a place for road cycling and I, I hope people continue to try and try and find ways to be able to do that. And, um, you know, I, I look at a race like tour of the Gila and, and they did have to cancel the one, two race this year. And that, that was a huge bummer. Um, but, but they're still going, you know, there's still an event. Um, and, and Gila is really kind of the last man standing of all those like big stage races that I told you about that I got to do when I was younger, still there. And, you know, it's, it's all because of the people in silver city, particularly, uh, Jack Brennan, the race director, he has such a passion for it. Like it blows my mind to think how much time, effort, and energy that guy's put into that event over the last 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think there should be a, a bronze statue of Jack Brennan in the silver <laughs> city square because 
<laughs> that that guy is just I don't know. I mean, he's he's just uh, um, an amazing person, and uh, and has contributed so much to to road cycling and and the town of Silver City as well. So, um, hopefully, you know, events like Gila, um, Redlands, Joe Martin, those events can can still find a way to keep operating because I, I think they're they're beautiful. They're great races. Yeah. They're gonna have to put a statue of you and Beaver pretty soon. Yes, too. yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's gonna get bigger and bigger. I love that. Well, very good, Burke. Hey, uh, grateful for you. Will you race this year at Crusher? You know, I I'm not a hundred percent sure. I I told myself I was gonna race uh, on my fiftieth my fiftieth year, and it ended up coming a little earlier last year because of some unfortunate circumstances. Um, with my dad passing away, I just felt compelled, like that was the year to do it. Um, so I am I'm like a maybe this year because, uh, I'm, I still have not completely passed the baton over to, uh, to ginger. I want to make sure Mm. that I'm there for her to support her. And, uh, my, my allegiance is first and foremost to the race. And if I feel like I can get everything done and find myself on the start line this year, I'll, I'll be there. But otherwise, I might be out driving, you know, signs in the ground and doing all the stuff that I've done for the last 12 years. So nice. But I'll be there. (laughs) Passing out one of the like eight different Cokes I drank on the course last year. (laughs) Well, me and Jason will be there. Uh, We can't wait for it. So hopefully the snow will start melting and everything will be good for the race. Yeah, actually, that's that's got me thinking too. I mean, this, this snow year is actually uh, above and beyond the one I described in, in 2011. Wow. I think there's a possibility we're going to have to move some snow this mm-hmm. year to, to get the race happening. Cool. So we, might that... just, we might just have people scrambling over snow drifts in places, which I yes. think is cool too. That'd be so cool. That is cool. <laughs> so, so it's not going to get canceled, right? It's just the no, race no will go on. Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, like, you know, if we have to push snow or if we, you know, riders have to get off and, and, you know, shoulder the bike over some drifts. Um, I personally, I think that'd be pretty cool. I love so that. do I. That'd be fun. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, well, thanks Burke. Uh, grateful for you. Yeah, thankful for all you do for, for cycling and what you created. Appreciate oh, you. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you guys. This has been fun. All righty, Jace. See ya. See ya. Take care guys.